Welcome back to the Low Bottom High Rise podcast, y'all. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. This conversation. I am so excited to bring you into it. I am so excited that we got to have it. Um, Miss Danae Hayes on the podcast today. One of the most down to earth, incredibly just humble, hilarious women I know. And I am so incredibly honored to call her a dear friend. She's also a social media like mogul. (laughs) Um, So you'll get to hear about that. And there were so many things we could have talked about today, right? Like we could have gone all over the map into entrepreneurship, into social media. And we just let the conversation open up. We had no plan. And it it went exactly where it needed to go. And you get to hear her story today. Her story is just, I think, so relatable to, I think just everybody's going to be able to relate on one level or another for yourself, for a family member, for a friend. I hope that this podcast opens up your eyes. I hope it opens up your eyes and your ears and your hearts in every way. Let's dig in. You're a mega influencer. I see that. At least that's how I see you in my eyes. I'm definitely an influencer, right? And I'm like, okay, can we just give the world a snapshot of reality for a second with us getting our times mixed up, both of us today, (laughs) with me with a giant pimple on my chin, my Invisalign in, my sweats, (laughs) you're in your truck. (laughs) I'm literally sitting in my truck while... Five different contractors are in my house right now. I I feel like a chicken with its head cut off 99% of the time, Moira. Yes, I know. And like, this is the glamorous side of being (laughs) so glam. I mean, so glam that cars are are passing by me wondering why is that woman in the middle of our neighborhood just sitting in her car talking on her phone? But, you know, it is what it is. (laughs) It is what it is. I love it. I love it so much. Um, All right. So let's dig in. I'm going to ask you like a question that you're probably going to be like, oh my God, how do I answer this? Because you are like, I don't know what it is about you personally, but like I felt so connected to you the second that we really connected on social through your wife, Mandy, right? I was like, oh my gosh, this girl is freaking hilarious and salt of the earth. I just love everything about you and you guys. Um, and then we got to spend a really fun week in Bora Bora together, which was unbelievable. But like to the outside world, there's probably going to be people that are on this podcast listening that are like, oh my God, she's got Danae on. They're so excited. But then there's people that are going to be like, who's, who's this girl? So like, this is a big question, but who is Danae Hayes? Like, what do you, how do you answer that? Oh man. Who is Danae Hayes? I feel like who Danae Hayes is changed a lot over the past couple of years because for the longest time, I identified as this little small town girl. I grew up in a town of like 1,200 people in the middle of nowhere, Alabama. All of my family, including my great-grandparents, were born and raised in that town. Um, My claim to fame growing up was that I went to the same high school that my grandparents went to. Although they didn't graduate from it because they dropped out, I did. And that was like my claim to fame. I always, I, I felt like I played small. Yeah. The, the area that I grew up in. Um, 
but I knew that there was something bigger. Like there was like this knowing, there was just this knowing as a kid. Like I remember people would tell me, you know, you're going to be on TV one day, Danae, or you're going to be a comedian one day, Danae, like we're going to watch you on TV. And uh, I, I wanted so badly to have that bigger future and have that bigger life. But the area that I grew up in, I felt like kind of pigeonholed me and kind of put a glass ceiling on me. Um, but I'm just a small town girl that had big dreams. And I give so much credit to my now wife, Mandy, because I always say she's my little saving grace. She mm-hmm. found this little small town girl in, in a time of desperation. I know we'll get into that, but she found me in, in the darkest moments of my life and kind of threw me a life raft and was like, you're better than this. Climb on board. We're going to get out of this situation and uh, we're going to, we're going to start playing big. And so for the first time in my life, nine years old. And for the first time in my life, I feel like I'm actually stepping in to, you know, a role that I could kind of envision for myself as a kid. And people told me I had the ability to become, but I didn't quite believe it then. So yeah, I'm just a small town girl that has decided to grab life, finally just live her truth and do things that make her happy. Yeah. I love that. And maybe, you know, now that I'm hearing you say that, I mean, we've talked so much, but like hearing it kind of in a nutshell, I'm like, oh, that's why we have this like soul connection. Cause like, I'm a small town girl from a tiny town where people just like have chicken farms. Right. And and same thing, like growing up, my claim to fame was like, I'm a Heinz. I'm a Heinz. People knew my name because I had this huge family in this small town. Although I actually hated that too, because there's a part of me that always wanted to be like totally anonymous. And, you know, especially when I started getting in trouble, you didn't want to, I didn't want anybody to know who I was, but it's like, I had that whisper in my soul too. I had that somewhere deep down inside. I was like, you're going to do really big things in this world, you know, but it's so hard to pursue that alone. And I believe that we absolutely need to surround ourselves with, I mean, it's so cliche to be like, who you surround yourself with is everything, who you surround yourself with you become, but it's just, it's absolute fact. It's a, there's a reason it's a cliche. And like, we need to surround ourselves and step into circles where we, people see in us what we, what we have that whisper and that hint, but we're scared, we're fearful, we're too insecure to like pursue it. And we need that, like those people to just say, you're a freaking badass. Like you're playing small, level the F up, you know? God, 100. Yeah. 100, 100%. And, you know, one of my favorite people, and I know you know him, um, Ed Milet, he always talks about the temperature of which the people that are around you, if they're always set at 85 degrees, you're eventually going to find a way to get to 85. But if the people mm-hmm. around you are just sitting at a, like a cool 60, 62, and, and that's where they're comfortable at, and you try to peak above that 62 degrees, they're going to grab you by your ankle and pull you right back down to 60. Um, and I found myself a lot of times watering myself down to make other people comfortable because, you know, although there's a a lot of amazing things about living in a small town, there's also that sense of 
if you start to drive, you know, a nicer car that you've worked hard to get, or you, you build, you know, a, a really nice home, or you start to do really well in your career, it, it tends to make other people, um, uncomfortable. And so what you start to do is you stop, you stop taking that car to the family get togethers, or you stop you know, telling people about this home that you're really proud that you built or this relationship that is so healthy that you're thriving in or how your health and wellness is just, you know, taking off and you feel the best you've ever felt because your, your pride and joy starts to make other people feel really uncomfortable. And I think the first thing I had to do is I had to recognize like, there's no way I can expand and grow if I can't celebrate my successes and I can't celebrate the wins in life. And I had to just, I, I had to get out of out of that environment to allow me to expand and, and to grow. And, and, um, Mandy and I ended up moving to Southern California, but we stayed there briefly, but I remember those two years that we were in California where I knew no one. Um, I just, I didn't know a single single soul out there. It was like such a, such a breath of fresh air for me because, you know, I didn't have to water myself down. I could be whoever I wanted to be. And that's really when my whole, um, social media started to to flourish because I was so afraid to take photos of me, like, um, you know, in a sports bra working out. So I was like, I don't want people to think that I'm like flaunting my body, even right. though I've worked so hard right. for my body. And so those two years were so detrimental to my growth. It allowed me to step outside of my comfort zone and, and, and just really focus on what made me happy and not be afraid to celebrate the good things that I'd worked so hard for. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, it's crazy. Again, like seeing the, this connection here, I went from my small town in Maryland and I like ran away to Southern California and it was like, I didn't, <laughs> yeah. I mean, isn't that crazy? I didn't this know is, anybody. So crazy. But I don't think I understood like subconsciously the invisible cage that I was living in, right? Because when I was in Southern California, and I can remember going to like a shopping mall and feeling the freedom to walk around and no one knew who I was. And I was like, this is amazing. But I was like, I also had that like blank slate. Like I can be anyone I want to be. And not that I was trying to be somebody I wasn't. I was actually just like, I could actually be who I actually am for the first time in my life, you know, because our family puts us in a cage, our friends put us in a box, like all of that. And it's like, we get stuck in this 10 year old, we get stuck in this like badass softball player box, right? We were both really <laughs> badass players, by the way. <laughs> but absolutely, like, I'm you know? Yeah. Swing Moira. You 100% were a badass softball player. She sent me, you sent me that video the other day of you swinging a bat. And I was just like, world home, home girl is athletic. I mean, I knew you're athletic, but like your actual swing. Yeah. That was fun to watch, but totally. Oh, there's, definitely yeah. a, there's definitely a connection when you've like played the same sport. Cause I'm like out on the beach with my dogs and thinking of you and Mandy, I'm like, they would be so proud of me right now. But here's the they would be so proud of me because we are women that celebrate other women for being badasses at whatever it is, right? Totally. I, you know what? It the people that are doing as much as you or more than you, they're yes. never going to be the ones to tell you, you know, what you're doing is is not enough. It's it's wrong. You're moving in a weird direction. You're changing. 
you know, that's, that's my biggest pet peeve now is, you know, when people are like, Danae, you've changed. Now I, my response is thank you. Because yeah. to me, change is, is growth. And I, you know, you and I, I know we, I know that we've talked about this before, like in Bora Bora, if you're not growing, you're dying. And, and people that are the most fulfilled in life are experienced some form of growth. And that growth, like, I think it changes categories throughout your life. Like right now I'm in a season of nurturing and growing my relationship with my wife because the outside world is chaos. We're in the middle of remodeling a home. We have, you know, no routine, no structure in our life right now. We feel so guilty that our business is having to take a back seat to this season of our life, but it's allowed me to step into a season and a role of growing and nurturing my relationship. And I believe mm-hmm. that God also gives us these, um, these focuses. Like right now, he's allowing me, my wife needs for me. He's allowing me to, to, nurture a relationship that maybe was taking a back seat because I was prioritizing my business for a year. And now I'm able to take my foot off the throttle because I've grown my business. It's in a great place. It's in a healthy place. It's in a steady place. And now I can prioritize my wife. And then, you know, maybe in two months from now, when our home is remodeled, we can shift gears and, and we can change and, and focus on something else. But I just think if you're always in a state of growth, you're always going to be in a state of fulfillment. Yeah. Well, I really, really honor you that you've been able to do that because that's not an easy thing. Like I was in this season of growth with my business where you're getting, you know, the success, the success, the income, the accolades. And I did the same thing this past year. You know, my son Finn was diagnosed type one last year. Not that that really had anything except it was kind of like Not that it, I mean, it did have something to do with my pivot, but it also was just like, wait a second, I built my business, I've built my income, I have this freedom and I'm not taking, I'm not, I'm not using that freedom. I'm just burning my, I'm continuing to spin the wheels. And so it's really tough to honor that pivot of this, the new season. Cause I too, I feel like I'm in a season of like, let me you know, not put my business on the back burner, but like keep everything in motion, but let me prioritize my time with my children. Let me prioritize my relationship with my husband. Let me prioritize quality of life right now for a season, right? Because I had to tell myself that because fear comes up, what's going to happen to my business, you know, what's going to happen to my brand, all of that. But it's like, no, this is a season. And when you can really listen to that, it's such a beautiful thing. 100%. And if we're not working to gain that freedom, like if, if that's not the reason that we're working so hard, then like, what is the reason at the end of this lifetime, you know, like I, I'm all about having financial freedom. I want to be financially, you know, free to do the things that I want to do in life. We want to travel. We want to live in nice homes. Like we want nice things. Like I want this badass pickup truck that I'm sitting in. But at the end of the day, you know, but like at the end of the day too, like I work so hard to have that freedom so that I can, you know, do the, and enjoy the meaningful fruits of my labor, which is more time with my wife for you. It's more time with your husband and your children. And it's not to say that like, I, I don't love having my foot on the throttle because we are both <laughs> personalities and it's killing me on the inside. I'm not going to lie. Like I, there's nights where I'm laying in bed and I, 
I'm thinking to myself, oh my goodness, should we have not just bought a brand new home? Because why in the world are we spending so much time away from our business remodeling this house? But at the end of the day, I know that when I'm 50 years old and Mandy and I are looking back on that time where we were just getting to design this house from the ground up and do a lot of the manual labor ourselves, you know, it may have caused a couple of fights. Um, I know that we'll remember that versus you know, the five or six months we had to step away from going absolutely bananas at 99 miles an hour with our business. We're still running at 70. 70 is pretty daggone good. We're just not at 99. Yeah, absolutely. Oh my gosh. We're literally in the same exact space in our lives. So let me ask you this. Let's go back if we can. You talked about when you met Mandy and she kind of found you in this small town and really was like, kind of rescued you out of this really dark time. Can you talk about what was going on and what that big shift was? My story, when I was eight years old, I came home from school. I was in third grade and I noticed like, like even though we didn't know what boyfriends and girlfriends were, you know, we started to kind of use that title like, as a, as a way to like become the cool kids, like, Oh, Cassidy's my girlfriend or Michael's my boyfriend or Hey, Michael check. Yes or no. If you want to be my boyfriend. And as long as he checked, yes, you were boyfriend and girlfriend for at least until lunch. If you didn't break (laughs) up by then, you know? And, uh, the first time I had seen that dynamic in the classroom and amongst my classmates. And I remember I had come home from school that day and I was just really confused because I started to see for the first time girls only choosing boys and boys only choosing girls. And I was just like, wait, why do I not like any of the boys? This is weird. Am I not supposed to like the the girls? Like it's, so it's very, very confused. I didn't say anything to my parents or anything like that. I just kind of chewed on that thought, utterly confused. And I remember the next day we went back to school and they were doing the same thing. Tom's my boyfriend, blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, wait, why is Cassidy so cute? I think, I think I want Cassidy to be my girlfriend, but nobody had done that. So I was like, okay, that must be wrong. Right. So my mom, one weekend in third grade, my mom was taking a nap in the middle of the day. And I remember I crawled in bed with her and I just started crying. And she was like, is everything okay, baby? What's wrong? And I just said, mom, I think I like Cassidy. And she goes, what? And I was like, I think I like Cassidy, mom. I was like, all, all the boys in the class are choosing the girls to be their girlfriends. And I think I want to ask Cassidy to be, to be my girlfriend. And I, I think my mom at the time didn't realize how much thought I had put into this and how bad it was really bothering me on the inside. So she just kind of chose her words really carefully and was just like, it's okay. We all think both boys and girls are cute. That doesn't mean you like the girls as much as you like the boys. And the way she spoke about it and brushed me off, like I knew there was no wiggle room in that conversation for me to be like, no, 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 you don't understand. And that was the first time where I had felt shame. And Mm -hmm. it breaks my heart for that little eight-year-old girl because gosh, we know as adults, like shame is one of the heaviest things you can wear. Um, I mean, it's like, it's like a heavy winter coat buttoned up all the way to the collar I mean, it is just like, you you feel like you're suffocating with it. Right. And so that was the first time that I had started to, to feel shame. And then every time I thought about my sexuality, it was always accompanied with shame. And Mm -hmm. so 
weeks went by and I was just still struggling with this. And I brought it up a couple more times, you know, like I still think Cassidy's cute mom. And it was just like shut down immediately. And so because I had no one to talk to about this using thought that I was having and why no one else in the world was showing me what I was feeling, because this was 19, like 98 at the time. Yeah. And, or maybe 2000, around 2000, nobody, okay. Nobody was gay on TV, you know? Well, especially um, in a small town, you probably weren't seeing it, right? Oh yeah. Out of 1200 people. I mean, nobody was gay. And if you were gay, you definitely didn't talk about it. Um, I mean, it, there was just absolutely no exposure to being gay. So the reason I always say that is because it's not like somebody showed me this and then I was like, oh, I'm curious about that. No, this was just like an innate yes. quality that I was oh. just, that was instilled in me. please hear this? Like, I just want everyone to hear that, please. You know, it's so important. I, I totally agree. And I know that we're going through like a very pivotal time right now in society where parents are truly worried that their kids are being exposed to this and their kids are gonna, you know, become transgender if they see a transgender and that's a whole nother topic one that I am not I'm not gonna I'm not speaking on that I'm just specifically speaking on Danae's testimony in my journey and my journey is that I had no idea even what to call this feeling I didn't even know that there was a label of it as being gay I just knew it as a feeling and so I started to develop severe obsessive compulsive disorder, which I would later get diagnosed with. And the reason I was developing an obsessive compulsive disorder is because I now know um, that I had such bad anxiety and I couldn't control my thoughts and I couldn't control any other aspect of my life as to why I was feeling those ways. So I had to control little things like how many times I would touch the doorknob or um, how much that sounds so funny now, but how much pressure I would put on my left foot versus my right foot when I was walking up the stairs, like down to that. Um, and I would count my stairs up and down. And then it got to the point where I was annoying my parents. Okay. Now this is the funny part. I was annoying my parents so bad because I would say, I love you between 15 and 20 times a night before I'd, I would go to bed, get out of bed, walk downstairs. I love you. Good night, Danae. We love you too. I'd walk back upstairs. I'd count the stairs. I'd get in bed. I'd walk back down the stairs. I love you. Today, we love you too, baby. Everything's okay. Okay. I love y'all. And it was happening like 20 times. So it was exhausting my parents. So then once it became like a point of contention in their relationship where it was kind of like annoying them. Yeah. They got me in the car. They got me in the car one day and they were like, we're going to go see this man today and he's going to help you. Mm. And I was like, so confused. I was like, who is this man? Like what, like, what is this somebody I know? So we got in the car and we drove to the big city of Birmingham, uh, which is laughable because Birmingham's really not that big. <laughs> but it was, it was for me as a kid. So we drove to Birmingham. And I just remember this really soft, smiled man opened the door to this waiting room. And he's like, Danae. I was like, who is this guy? I've never seen this guy before. And we went back to his office and all three of us sat on his couch and, you know, he asked simple questions like, why are you here? What do you need help with? And my parents answered first and they only spoke about my obsessive compulsive disorder. They never spoke about my sexuality. 
And so I was like, okay, so this is obviously what's bothering them. Not my sexuality, even though I didn't know what the word sexuality meant. Not my, not me liking girls. Right. And so after he heard what they had to say, they left the room. He asked them to leave the room. And I sat there and he was like, Danae, what, why do you think you're here? And I just mirrored what my, my parents said. I said, oh, well, I, I have really bad um, problems with counting and saying I love you. And he said, why do you think you do that? And I said, well, it just, it makes me feel better. And he goes, makes you feel better from what? And I was like, oh, here we go. Here we go. I'm going to have to let my shameful secret out. This is going to be so embarrassing. Why did my parents do this to me? Why am I having to sit on a couch and tell this stranger that I like girls, not boys? And he goes, why, why do you think you do that? Like, what, what do you want to feel better from? And I said, well, I know I shouldn't like girls, but I can't stop thinking about how much I like the girls, not the boys. And this man. I feel like it's amazing that you connected those dots, like at right. that age. You know, that's incredible. I, it was the only thing in my life, the OCD, the only yeah. thing in my life that would give me relief. So I, it felt obvious to me. But looking back, I'm like, wow, that was pretty smart for kids. <laughs> I must have been, yeah. I, I been, been pretty intuitive. Okay, maybe I've always been like an empath or something. I don't know. Um, sweet man, he looked at me and he said, Danae, there's nothing wrong with who you like, whether it's boys or girls. And I just looked at him like, no, 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 no. You don't understand. This is wrong. And um, he just reassured me that it wasn't. And I went back and I got out in the car and it was so comforting. And I went back and I got out in the car and my mom, my dad was like, well, let's go get something to eat and talk about what you guys talked about. And uh, my dad started to drive and my mom was sitting in the passenger seat and she propped her elbow up and swiveled around. And she looked at me with a big smile. Like, I can't, like, I hope this magic man fixed you. And she goes, so what'd y'all talk about? And I was so excited. I just cut right to the chase. I go, he said, there's nothing wrong with me liking girls, mom. And I was smiling ear to ear. And she took her fist and hauled off and hit my dad in the arm while he was driving. And she said, I thought you booked a Christian counselor. And my dad goes, he was a Christian counselor. And that was the first time that I had connected the dots or so thought that this was my truth, but that you couldn't be a Christian and also be who I was, which is, I like this. I like the girls, not the guys. And so that is, that was my truth. That was my identity. That was the little girl that had this hardwired belief system that I couldn't love Jesus and also be who I was. Um, and it wasn't, but maybe two or three weeks later, they had found conversion therapy. And so they had made sure they did their due diligence and made sure that the therapist that I was going to see was 100% on the same page as them. Um, so you never so went, went back to see this incredible no. man? Nope. So I'm one time, he said one sentence that I would repeat in my head over and over again to like, I remember I would say it like probably a hundred times a day in my head. Danae, there's nothing wrong with liking girls. There's nothing wrong with who you like. And it, it was a way for me to try my best, but because the the most influential person my parents were saying the complete opposite. It could never supersede those, you know, it could never gain enough strength to overpower right. the lessons I was learning at home. Um, but 
we went back to a, a, a therapist who I now know it was a form of conversion therapy at the time that Which that wasn't. A- I had never, I had never heard of conversion therapy until you and I were chatting in Bora Bora. And I was like, this is so appalling that this is even a thing. Like I had no yeah, idea. It's crazy. Cause I believe it's still legal in the U S but Canada just outlawed it because it's so harmful. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it is, it is wild. It's like, it's like taking a, uh, I don't know, say a black child and taking that child to a therapist and trying to convince that child that their skin is not black. Yeah. It's like, that's how, I mean, it's just damaging because you can't change who you are, but yet you're saying that who you are is not good enough. And so interesting you say that because I always tell my children, um, I'm like, what I think is how we are navigating and how what how we think about gay people right now. I'm like, I, I believe in 50 years, it's going to be no different than the whole black white thing we went through. Like people couldn't wrap their minds around allowing a black person to sit at the table with them. Like, are you freaking kidding me? I can guarantee you in like, this is the same thing. Like, in 50 years, we're going to be like, I cannot believe that anyone in their right mind thought that this was not right, like societally. Like, do you know what I mean? And I'm, I'm yes. probably going to get a, like, I'm probably going to get a lot of hate for that. And, you know, whenever you well, stand strong on one side of this issue, but man, do I freaking stand strong to like the depths of my soul as a Christian, because as Oh yeah. That's a whole nother topic. It doesn't. Yeah. We could, we could do a whole nother topic on that. Uh, yeah. It, it's mind boggling that, you know, 70 years ago we were even having the debate or not, whether or not um, you should be able to own another human being. I mean, that doesn't even make sense to me. That doesn't even make sense to me. And I think, I think you're right. I think that by the time I'm an older lady and maybe I'm in my eighties, maybe I will be able to see the, the, the shift in society to the point where it's not your, you being gay or straight is not even like, it's not even a point of topic. Like it's not even a topic anymore, you know? And I, I hope that we get to that place. And I know that even in a short amount of time, uh, over the past five years, I've seen a huge shift in society. And maybe that comes with me being just very comfortable and confident in who I am now, because I'm not always looking for a problem. I'm not looking for someone to be homophobic to me. Instead, I'm just like, I am who I am. If you love me, you love me. If you don't, I'm not going to lose sleep over it at night. But um, so, yeah, they took me to uh, this conversion therapist. And I just remember I sat on the couch, same situation. We sat there. He asked us a couple of questions and asked my parents to leave. And uh, I went to him for a long time. And, you know, we learned like, I think probably the most impactful statement that he made to me was that it's not a sin to think about robbing the bank. It's just a sin to rob the bank. So very twisted way, yeah. Moira. I was like, thank so you for telling me that. I'm not a bad person for these thoughts, but I could never act on them because that's yeah, the totally that's robbing the bank. Yeah. yeah. Man, thank you. So, I, in my head, I was like, wow, thank you so much for saying that because now I can like stop worrying so much about these, these, uh, these air quotes, perverted thoughts that I have. Um, Cause that's what they, that's what they made me believe is that I was like, it was like perversion to even think that you would 
be attracted to the same sex, but um, I was 10 or I had just turned 11 at this point. So I'd went to him for a long time and um, uh, my obsessive compulsive disorder was still just like through the roof. And this is the part to me that the only part, okay, truly the only part that makes me angry is that this man prescribed a 10 or brand new 11 year old Zoloft and put me on Zoloft while my brain was still developing. That's the only part. And I get angry, you know, that my parents allowed that. I just, medication is such a strong thing, especially for a child. I just, I wish so badly because who knows, like, if that did any damage to me, I, I don't, I hope, I, I like to believe that it didn't, but I just could never imagine putting my, you know, my little 10 year old on such a heavy antidepressant drug. That's just, you know, it's not like they're taking Claritin or, you know, Mucinex, like you're putting them on Zoloft. So that was that. And then I just, I, I never spoke about my sexuality again. Maybe once to my dad, I had a great relationship with my dad where I felt comfortable to talk about it to him. Uh, but I never spoke about it again until I went to college. It was just a secret that I had and a secret that I was going to go to my grave with. And so long story short, my wife met me when, um, I had just graduated from college and, um, so you are absolutely in the closet at this point. You haven't had any relationships or anything. I had had relationships, but they were hidden. So I had had two relationships, both in college. both with women and they were hidden, very shameful relationships. I never felt comfortable in my sexuality. I felt like uh, I was always doing something wrong. Um, And then, you know, I just, it never felt right because I, I, you want so badly to tell your parents about your relationship. You know, you want to talk about like the good things or even like silly conversations that you have with your partner. And I could never do that. So it just felt like a big old dirty secret and it wasn't fun. And then uh, Mandy and I started talking in 2016 via Instagram. The gram. Instagram. And um, I didn't, I hadn't even met her yet. She was coming down to visit me for the first time ever. And I hadn't even met her yet. And I remember I said, she's so worth it that without even meeting her, just speaking to her on the phone, I'm going to tell my mom that I have a girlfriend. Mm. And that was, you can imagine how that conversation went because it was almost like she had had like PTSD from my childhood of this conversation. And since I had never spoke about it again, she was just like, wait, I thought we were over that. So that, that was, um, that was rough. And I, she said some really nasty things. Um, you know, she said things like, I would rather you date a black man than date a woman. And so she was in that headspace where she is, she was so prejudiced against any, any change or any difference or any diversity that she would say things like that to me that I'm so disgusting wanting to date a woman because I knew how she felt about biracial couples that it was like her way of saying I would I even you know how disgusting I think biracial couples are and I would rather you be in a biracial couple relationship than to date a woman and so 
she would just always use things like that. And it just to just dig me into the ground. And so I was in a very just uh, broken state when Mandy met me, which is so weird because that was only like five years ago. And now, hell, if Oprah would have me on TV, I'd go shout it from the rooftops from Oprah. I mean, I'm just so empowered. You know, I'm just so, I'm, I'm in a place of like, just proud of who I am. Like, I know I'm a great, like, I know I'm a great daughter. I know I'm a great person. I'm proud of, of, of how I've lived my life up to this point. I know I've made mistakes, but I'm proud of how I've owned those mistakes. I'm, I, I know I live a respectful life. I know that the relationship that I have with my wife now is based off of love and honesty and integrity and respect. And I've just learned that those were my mother's truths. Those weren't my truths. Those were, um, those were things that she needed to deal with. And it's funny that the people who go to therapy typically aren't the ones that need therapy. It's the people who's caused them the trauma that need the therapy the most, Uh, but they're not (laughs) willing, they're not willing to go. So we go instead. Let me ask you this, because I'm feeling like there's probably so many people that are going to listen to this. And they're in that dark space, right? Like they're in that, like, how do I claim my power? How do I, like you so kind of quickly, like shifted out of that dark spot and (laughs) crazy again. So did I like seven years ago, I felt like I was in this really dark spot. And then my life literally did a 180. And I know that I can attribute that to a lot of different things. But when people are like thinking about like, that's great for you, Danae, but like, I'm in the darkness. How do I get out? Give me the solution. What would you say to that? I think number one, before you even, you know, cause you know, therapy is a big thing for me, but before we even begin to take like tactical steps of going to therapy or having these tough conversations with your loved ones, number one is I think you have to, you have to sit in silence with yourself and you have to ask yourself, what am I willing to live with? And what am I willing to live without? And when you can get clear on what you're willing to live without is when you're going to be able to take growth because you can't climb a steep mountain with a hundred pound backpack on. You're going to have baggage. We're all going to have, you know, that force wanting to pull us down. You know, whatever that is, everybody's baggage is different, but you've got to be able to unload some of that baggage so that you can get up that hill. And so for me, I had to sit with myself and I had to ask myself, what am I willing to live without? And unfortunately, it came to the hard truth. I'm willing to live my life without my mom if it means that she can't respect me. And once I resolved that in my head, as hurtful as it seemed, and I knew I had a lot of growth and I had a lot of therapy to go to, and I had a lot of strength that I needed to muster up and build. But once I had resolved, okay, I've asked her to respect me. I've asked her not even to to accept me, just to show me respect. And she still time and time and time again has proven to me that she's not willing to do that or she's unable to do that. I now realize, okay, that's a, that's something I can take out of my backpack and I can lighten my load. And now I can go on my journey of strength and my journey of healing and my journey of molding and creating this person that I want to be. And so the next step for me was to go to therapy so that I could 
not necessarily bog my wife down or my, my girlfriend at the time with this, but it wasn't her journey to, to, to go through. And it wasn't her place to have to constantly listen to my struggles. I wanted her to be my lighthouse and I wanted her to be my breath of fresh air. And I didn't want to always, you know, have these hard conversations with her and weigh her down with it. So I chose therapy. Um, and I went weekly for a solid year. I think I missed two appointments in the entire year. So I really made it a priority. Um, and it was also just a, yeah. And it's hard, you know, like the, the first, the first month, I think all I did is just cry on her couch and barely, I think I wasted so much money because I should have been telling her how I was feeling. But instead I was just like, I can't get through this. I'm never going to get through this. But that's part of the journey, you know, that's, that's, that's part of the therapy. And then I would say my third step, which this comes with therapy, but my third step was establishing boundaries in my life with even people that treated me well um, and treated me with respect. I remember I had to have some really hard conversations with my dad, whom is my best friend. And you're probably listening to this thinking, but he, he allowed you to go through so much hell as a kid. You know, part and of those boundaries that I- divorced now. Your parents are divorced yes. now. They are divorced. Um, I have a fantastic relationship with my dad. He is my best friend. And we have had some really hard conversations about why he allowed certain things like that in my childhood to happen. I will say this. He's never the one using the words against me. He just, he allowed me to go to conversion therapy. He allowed me to be put on Zoloft. And for that, he is so remorseful and so shameful and, and so ashamed of those things because he knows that they had a great impact uh, on my life. But the thing that my dad has, has expressed to me, and I hope that, you know, maybe if a parent is listening to this and they have a gay child, I hope that they, this is something that they really take away is that my dad said he was doing those things to protect me. He said, Danae, I knew that you lived and hear me out because I'm going to come full circle with this. He said, I knew we lived in a very prejudiced, small-minded area. And I knew that if I allowed my little 10-year-old girl to go to school and tell everyone that she liked girls, she was going to be ridiculed from the time she was in third grade until she graduated. He said, my hopes was that we could keep that secret at home, or at least until you were to an age of where you could cope with the hate that was going to come with it. Um, he said, but I wish that I would have waited. I, I wish that I wouldn't have taken you to therapy and obviously put you on Zoloft. He said, I wish that you and I could have had more of open conversations at home where that you at least had a safe space with me until you were at the age of say 13 or 14, where you have developed the mechanisms and the, the mindset of where you could cope with that hate. And then you could have made that decision, you know, say in seventh or eighth or ninth grade, and you could have told your classmates that but you would have been equipped with the tools that were going to come with the hate and the prejudice. Um, he said, but instead I made those decisions for you. And I made the decision to make you feel shameful about who you were. And I just, he feels so much guilt about that. But now my dad, if I asked him to hang a gay pride flag on his front door, he would. <laughs> if I was like, dad, I need you to, I, if I was like, dad, I need you to wear a shirt that says my daughter's gay and I love the hell out of her. He would, I would never ask him to do that, but he would. He just loves me to death. He loves Mandy. He's so proud of where we are in life now. And I know that he'll go to his grave worried about what he did. And I've fully forgiven him for that. And I've fully just like, just left that 
in the past, other than when I'm having to explain, you know, my story, but my dad knows that, that I don't hold any grudges against him. And my dad also knows that, that he respects the hell out of me and my relationship. So I know that he's stepping into uh, hopefully a new chapter of, of leaving that in the past for him because he needs to. But if there's any parents listening, I hope that you can learn from him and know that, yes, you can protect your child. And I, I wish that my dad would have protected me up until I was like 13 or 14 and then let me make that decision. Um, but don't make that decision in such a way that could be damaging, like taking them to conversion therapy or constantly instilling the fact that who they are, who they innately are is wrong. Be yeah. a safe space for, for them, even if it's just behind closed doors where they can have that open conversation. I love that. I love that so much. And it's so true. I mean, th- you know, we always say, or we always hear, everybody's just doing the best that they can. And there's a there's a part of that, like with your dad, that absolutely, like he was just doing the best he could. But I will also say, I've always called bullshit on that because I'm like, actually, some people are not doing the best that they can. You know what I mean? They're like, I literally. T- I totally not. agree. No, I, yeah. I, 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 t- I totally agree. And I try, I, I also try to find empathy. I know that the household that he grew up in, you know, <laughs> yeah, the G-A-Y word probably was never spoken. Um, yeah. He comes from a very, like my grandparents were your traditional, deep Southern people you know? So I try and find empathy there as an adult, but as a child, you, you, you're not in a place of trying to find empathy for your parents. You're just saying, why in the world are they causing me so much pain? Thankfully, as I grew up, I was able to, you know, to think about those things, but yes. And I know if he could do it again, he would do it. He would do it so much better and he would do it. He would protect me more in, in a way that was protecting Danae, not protecting you know, the community from bullying me, but, um, yeah, I, I definitely learn, learn a lot from him on a day-to-day basis of how to own, how to, uh, to own your shit. You know, yeah. my dad is like, yeah. my dad's one of those people where he makes a mistake, he's going to own it. Um, but God, I just hope I, we've talked about this, but I just hope so badly more that he has like, you know, forgiven himself for that. Cause I know that's a heavy burden yeah. for him. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I just think it's remarkable truly to both of you. And I hope I get to meet him one day that like how far you guys have come. I mean, and that's like, you've done the work and you've had the really hard conversations. And I feel like in our society, we just kind of back away from anything hard, anything uncomfortable. And like, yet we want to be where all these successful people are, these people that are free in their sexuality. And it's like, you can't get there without the work. You can't get there without having the hard conversations. It's a, it's a, like, what does Glennon Melton say? It's a brutal road, like brutal and beautiful. (laughs) You know, I love that word. And that's just the journey, you know? Um, I want to chat really quick, not really quick, but like, it's so interesting coming into this conversation. We didn't like have a topic at all. We just hopped on a call to record the podcast and it just ended up like this was at the heart of it. And this is absolutely just the conversation that needed to happen today. Right. I absolutely believe that. But what would you say to, just like you said, to like, if there's parents out there kind of struggling with a gay child, what would you say to the people out there that just don't understand it, right? Because 
I, from just a heart and soul space, stand with you so much. It's just like, I can't see any other way. Like I can't really even understand the opposition to it. And so it's really hard sometimes for me to have conversations. Even one of the best things that I've ever heard in my life. And it came from, I want to say it was Mandy. It might've been you, but I was watching, I think it was her stories one day. And somebody said, she did like a Q and a on Instagram. And somebody said, how old were you when you figured out you were gay? And she responded and said, hey, I'm not trying to be blunt or offensive here, but like, does anyone ever ask you at what age you figured out you were heterosexual? (laughs) I was like, holy moly. Like that blew my mind because that's like what I feel on that guttural level of like, yes, like it just is like, totally. we're, we're messing it up so much. Right. So like, what do you say to the people that like, can't understand it, or they think it's, you know, socially like a decision or all that stuff? The first thing, so I, I think this would really hit home. I did a funny TikTok the other day. I haven't posted it because I need to find the way to post it, but, um, I, I acted as if I was interviewing myself and I was like, excuse me, ma'am, excuse me. Um, I have a quick question for you. Do you believe in straight marriage? And I looked at the camera and I go, ah, I think it's a state to state issue. (laughs) And then, and then I walked over and I acted like I was someone else and I go, excuse me, ma'am. I have a quick question for you. Do you believe in straight marriage? And I looked at the camera and I go, ah, you know, it's, it's against my religious beliefs. And I said, well, what if that person doesn't share the same religious beliefs as you, ma'am? And then I look back at the camera and I go, oh, I've never thought of it like that before. I think that, I think that we need to get to a place where try to necessarily understand everything. I can't understand to a point of, uh, transgender because I'm not transgender. Right. Except someone who's transgender. I can't even understand like, um, you know, how in the world my parents could have fell in love at some point now seeing how different they are. I don't, I don't need to understand that. I just need to know that that was their truth and that was their existence. And it's not affecting me now. So I need to just allow them to live their life. But, um, I think the more that we try to understand instead of empathize, the more that divide gets bigger and bigger because I'm never going to be able to understand, you know, maybe the prejudice that uh, a black person is going to face in a social situation that I'm not, I just need to empathize with it and, and move on, you know? And, and I I also, and, and where I, you can put this in your podcast or not, but I also, I do have a little bone to pick with, LGBTQ community, because I think that sometimes we try to be so in your face with everything that end up separating ourselves from normal society, whatever that even looks like. But for me, you know, I'm not going to have a gay pride flag on the front of my house. Um, I'm not going to have, you know, gay woman in my bio. I'm not going to have, you know, a bunch of uh, LGBTQ uh, apparel on because for me it's such a small fraction of my identity just as your sexuality is such a small fraction of your own identity you know you don't have to go around waving a flag that says you're heterosexual 
I don't believe. I was just. I, don't thinking, believe- I was. I was thinking the same thing when you were just saying that. I'm like, it's no different than like I wouldn't put I'm a straight woman in my bio. Like you know, right. it's like right. And going yeah. going back to your going back to your point of the beginning of what Mandy put on her story. That's why Mandy and I we we just have chosen to to live our life with like three pillars, and that's honesty, integrity, and respect. I don't feel like I have to add a fourth one that says, and I also identify as a lesbian. And I think that the more our society moves in that direction, our brain is going to be able to start to say, oh, okay, they're just normal people like we are, you know? Um, and And I know that each movement starts with power. Like had Martin Luther King not been as loud about the subject as he was, I don't believe we would have made such fast progress in such a short time. So please hear me out when I say I'm not against the LGBTQ movement and how loud we are collectively. But I think now we are becoming a part of society where if we just step into our role and our power of who we are and allow our sexuality to be a smaller fraction of that, I think we're not only going to be able to feel more empowered ourselves, but other people are going to be able to stop just associating us with our sexuality. I could not agree more. Amen. And that 100% is just my own opinion. And I know that everyone has different trauma and there's a reason why everyone presents themselves in a different light and manner. Um, But that is just, that is just my opinion. And that's how Mandy and I have decided that we're going to live our lives and it makes us truly happy that way. And, um, but I know to each their own. If you're looking for some more in-depth training on mindset practices and how to create your vision, how to reverse engineer your goals, how to craft your morning process, all of the things that I'm super passionate about, you guys, the Rise Up course is where it's at. It is literally my lifetime, my mind in a course, every single tip, strategy, and hack that you could possibly ask me about is in this course. So jump into the show notes right below and you'll see the link for the Rise Up course and my Rise Up planner and you guys can rise up with us. I love that though. I love that perspective. Um, and I could go on and on and on and on and I'm trying not to because this doesn't need to be three hours, right? Although maybe it does. Maybe we need like part two and part three. But uh, let's let's wrap it up. We haven't talked at all about like your social media presence, personality, brand, but like at least tell people where to find you in all the places. Yeah. And um, and I and then I want to know like what's next for you guys. So first off, where can people find you? Well, if you want the uh, the goofy side of me, you can check me out on TikTok. Um, it's just my name, Danae D A N A E Hayes H A Y S. But uh, I post all kinds of crazy stuff on there. So if you go there thinking that it's just going to be me sitting down talking, you're going to be in for a big surprise. Um, I'm literally like a Broadway show, but that doesn't even do it justice. (laughs) I mean, it's like we're a true comedian. And like, Uh, I I mean, that's one of the reasons why I just love you so much is like you've got this crazy, hilarious personality. But like whenever you and I chat, we tend to go deep, right? Like the real stuff. Yeah. And I, yes, well, next for me, Moira, is I'm scared to death to say this out loud, but I'm going to say it because I know I need to do it. It's something I wanted to do since I was a kid, but I'm going to do a stand-up show in 2022. Um, it's something that I've, yes. I've always, I know, I've always wanted to do it, but it's so frightening because, you know, it's new. 
And then I'm also in the middle of writing a book right now. Um, it's going to be a memoir of my life. So, um, you know, a lot of things that you heard today on the podcast is, is going to be a part of that. But I also want to tell you more about that. From before even knowing you, you genuine spirit about you that I don't even think you have to meet you in person to feel it. I think that I truly believe that, and I can get emotional when I say this, but I truly believe that God gives certain people angel-like qualities. And mm. whew, you reached out to me when I was in such a dark spot without even knowing me. And you just gave me like this, this beautiful blanket of love. And um, your kids and your husband are so lucky to to be able to share that with you on a day-to-day basis. I truly believe that you are just, just a beautiful spirit and you have such a gift of making people feel loved. And I know you are a beautiful mother to both of your children and they are so blessed to be able to feel that love every single day. And they're going to grow up to be such empowering people to other people not just for themselves because they have a selfless, unconditional, loving mother like you. And so I just adore you. I think that you are just reaching the, the surface of what God put you on earth to do. And I'm so excited that that God gave me the ability to know you and to connect with you. And uh, I'm really excited for you. This podcast is going to be this podcast of you and I, but your podcast is going to reach so many people in so many different facets of their life. And I'm really proud of you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. Like you have no idea how much that means, honestly. Um, Every word you just spoke, it means the world. So thank you for that. And I am so incredibly blessed just to know you guys and to count you among my good friends. And you have got to get to Charleston. I insist- Oh my goodness. It looks so beautiful there. Who knew the beach? You guys need to keep that a secret. You shouldn't be showing that on Instagram. Otherwise other people are going to be bombarding y'all's beaches. Yeah, they are bombarding us. It's crazy around here, but uh, we'll get you here sooner than later. But girl, thank you so much for your time, for your heart, for your story, for your vulnerability, for all of it. And thank you for doing the work because you are paving the way for so many people. So many people. Thank you. Miss Danae Hayes, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for having open hearts and open ears to this incredibly important conversation that is, you know, just getting started in so many ways. I would love for you to share, especially this episode. Um, and we ask guys that you follow on Spotify, follow on Apple podcast as well. And if you would, a couple things, um, post a review on Apple podcast. It really helps to push the show out so that more people can find it, but let me know, contact me, email me, shoot me a DM on Instagram, whatever you got to do. Let me know your thoughts. I would love to hear your takeaways. I'd love to hear who you want to hear and hear from on the show. Um, I just love nothing more than connecting with my audience. So uh, reach out and we'll see you next week.